Hi everyone, my name is Simran Bhatia and I'm a staff writer for The Profile. Today I had the amazing opportunity to interview John Sally, four-time NBA champion, actor, writer, producer, health coach, and a man of many, many more identities as you'll come to learn from this podcast episode. You'll get to hear from John about his experience playing in the NBA alongside Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, as well as his reflections on his career and what he wishes was different about the NBA. We also talked about why John decided to become a holistic wellness coach and vegan activist. But my favorite part of this interview was learning about all the different ways John has maximized this one life and just how precious this life is. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John Sally and subscribe to the profile for interviews just like this. Welcome to John Sally for joining us on the profile. Happy to have you here. How are you? Every day is good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So to get right in, you are a four-time NBA champion, vegan activist, actor, investor. Am I missing anything here? Certified health coach. Certified health coach. Okay. Add that to the resume. Photographer. Photographer. All right. Uh, Soon to be author, director. All right. I'm doing everything I possibly can as long as I'm on the planet. That's amazing. So, I mean, I think we can both agree, though, that this is not the typical career path for someone who was born in the projects in Brooklyn. So uh, <laughs> I would I would love it if you could paint a picture for us of what your childhood looked like. And I'd love to know the exact moment where you thought things are about to change for John. I grew up in a Canarsie section of Brooklyn in a play in a project called Bayview Houses. Uh, I was raised a Jehovah Witness. My mother got into being a Jehovah Witness in 1958, and uh, by the time I was born, we were like the second black family in a in a predominantly Jewish Italian neighborhood. Um, but by the time I was born, my brothers had kicked everybody's butt that said the wrong thing. Uh, so I uh, I didn't grow up, as I say to a lot of people, in fear of white folks. Um, because I grew up around them that they weren't any different to me. They were next door neighbors. I then started playing basketball. I think I was uh, I was six. There's a guy named Eric Jones. His father had us watching a game one time and he said, man, NBA players got the best clothes and all the girls like them. And I was like, that's gonna be my job. <laughs> but around 12, you know, I'm playing, I'm getting into it. But around 12, when I was in sixth grade, going in seventh grade, I told everybody I was going to be a professional basketball player. I then uh, fell down the stairs. I remember I was 14 and I hit the back of my head. I don't know how long I was there. But when I got up, my whole life had changed. So I guess, and then I started growing different. So I guess I hit my pituitary gland and it just shot me up. My whole life was like, I'm going to be a pro. And I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to be an actor. And I used to listen to Richard Pryor albums and I wanted to be a comedian. And I used to be shy, believe it or not. So I like taking pictures. So I saved up all my money when I was 14, 15 and got my first SLR. And then I'm in high school going up to girls saying, I'm taking pictures for the you know school yearbook. We might pose it. 
And, you know, girls will not turn. You can see on Instagram, girls will not take down taking photos. And I still, at that point, I still have, since then, I've been collecting cameras. I have uh, 312 cameras from 1910 to now. I'm not a hoarder. I'm a collector. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm a reader. At that time, being the avid reader, every day I was reading a different word in the dictionary. I wanted to have great diction, like sound as good as O.J. Simpson. I loved Muhammad Ali, was able to tell people exactly who he was, what he felt. I thought that was, I think Muhammad Ali was such an impression on me. Would you say then that like basketball wasn't your only love? It was multiple things all at the same time. And one of the most important things I've seen about very successful people is that they have a level of delusion that they're going to be able to achieve all these things that they're saying they will achieve. It's a, it's a way of manifesting, to be honest, I think. So would you say that you've carried a certain level of delusion to believe that you would achieve all of these things and be able to do all of these things that you, you tried your hand at? Delusion is, is, it is a delinquent thought of reality. And I obviously proved that I wasn't delusional because um, I wanted to be a rapper, right? Y'all call it rapper. Now I wanted to be an MC. And I was, uh, I had a crew called MC Johnny T and the mass production crew. And my DJ was Tommy Allen, God rest his soul. He was working on WBLS until he died uh, a couple of years ago. And I was rapping until my brother was like, there are no seven foot rappers. But then I got to do a movie, a Disney movie two years ago called Sneakerella that came out two years ago. And um, I got to play the king and I was rapping and I'm an actor and it was a musical. So all the things that people thought I was delusional about, I have done at the highest level. So I, I understand what you mean, but this is the only life we have. And you literally can do whatever you want. That somebody told me, one out of every American is a professional basketball player. So you're one in a million. He said, so you think you're one in a million? I said, oh yeah, most definitely I'm one in, I'm one in one billion. I'm, I'm, there's nothing like me. And that's not being uh, conceited or braggadocious. That is a reality. Yeah. There, there, there's not another, that, so people who don't want you to move in the direction of your own will, who are used to being controlled, will think that things like I'm saying are delusion. No, it's it's um, it is definitely the reality I live. It actually sounds like a form of self love because your ability to do all of these different things, I think, directly relates to something you said in an interview before, which is you said you keep studying and you keep learning because I love my life. You said, I yeah. love my life, so I must continue learning. You said something of that nature. So I think that's directly in line, actually, with, with the many things that you do. It's a form of continuing to study and learn and do because you love your life. Would you, would you agree with that? I, I, 100%. I'm so happy you brought that up. I love my life so much that I, I'm not humble. And people say, no, you need to be humble. No, you don't. You need to be confident. And humble is taking the lowest level of your thought. Um, 
to have humility is is a great thing and to sit around and try to backplay i don't backplay uh i've been in a situation when i've been around i had a coach um who didn't want to deal with the fact that we were a great team he was so used to um downplaying it and i said it was his catholic upbringing downplay it don't let anybody know you know keep your nose to the grind and that no muhammad ali changed all of that for me you can be braggadocious confident funny but you could also be the best right and you can back it up so actually we're in in your timeline we're still in you know you're growing up you're learning from these coaches you're you're learning from your inspirations um but you also mentioned previously that 10 of your friends had passed away before you were 24 and that yeah. experience taught you the impermanence of life and how to enjoy every moment and that is such a heavy thing to experience especially as a young adult so i have two parts to my question how did you cope at the time and in what ways did that experience change how you lived your life on the daily basis? Growing up where I grew up, it was it's a constant thing. Like, you know, it's it's almost like being that's why the trauma and the PTSD uh is real. It's almost like being in a battlefield. You next day you might not have your uh comrade next to you. Um I think the first time I had any, uh, my best friend got murdered in front of me, well, got died in front of me. He got hit with a stickball bat when I was nine. Wow. So by the time I had any therapy was my second year in college because my best friend, Lloyd, had gotten murdered. Um, and my coach just, he said I was too aggressive. I was getting in foul trouble. I wanted to fight everybody. He knew I was acting out. So what I then learned to do is this this guy taught me so much. He taught me how to breathe. He taught me um, how to meditate. He taught me how to float. And, you know, believe it or not, like this guy had no idea that this ability to breathe and meditate was going to save my life and many others. So I think the way I got over it is learning that everybody is here until we die. I know it sounds you know, morbid or cynical, but no, and, and Maya Angelou said, I remember her saying, when she finally came to reality that she one day was gonna die, she was then free to do whatever she wanted until. So that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, it was people always say, man, you're always smiling and, and it, you know, I'm not hiding anything. It's just that smiling feels better than frowning. After you, you know, you went through this experience of growing up in the projects, getting drafted into the NBA after a successful career in college, um, you said that when you were in the NBA, your coaches made you feel like every single game mattered. And as a result of that, um, you couldn't enjoy the moment you were in. Like looking back, you had mentioned that, you know, you wish you were maybe more in the moment and could have enjoyed that experience a bit more. So 
if you had to go back and change anything about your NBA experience, what would you have done differently? I would do more pull-ups, more push-ups, and I would stay in the gym a little longer. And I would make sure the head coach watch me work out. Okay. I mean, I would, that was another thing. I would make sure he would watch me work out, me shooting the ball better, trying to become a better. I was a, I was a pretty good offensive player in college, but only pretty good to me. But to everyone else, I was scoring and doing all these things. And, but now that I look back, I could have gotten, I had this girlfriend one time who played on the girls' team at Georgia Tech. And I got 27 points and like 14 rebounds, five blocks. And I said, you see the game tonight? She said, you could have got 40. I was so mad at her. <laughs> I was so mad. Like, yo, we won. I did my thing. Why can't you just compliment that? She goes, yeah, but you got laps in your game when you could have got 40. And I was like, I never forgot it. So I think that I, I did take it serious. I'm very intense. Chuck Daly said I had the best mental health of any athlete he's ever dealt with. Wow. And what that means is I can really focus for a long period of time. I can focus on a point. I can seriously, if I have to do this, I can do it. I can be repetitive until it stops. So I would be a great factory worker if I only had one thing to do. I enjoyed my NBA career, but look, you win an NBA game, you're yelling, you're all happy. You got 15 minutes. You get in the locker room, hey, all right, all right, simmer down, simmer down. You know, hey, we got this win, but, you know, we, we had a la, 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 you know, uh, now, you know, put your hands in here. We got to prepare for the game tomorrow. What? We just won. We lose a game. You hear it for 15 minutes. You feel it by the reporters coming in. Next day on the on the news, you hear about it. In the paper, you hear about it. It's like they rather deal with the losing emotion and beating up on you in professional sports as opposed to realizing you're human. So that's the part of it I didn't like about the, about being in the NBA. Wow, that's I think that's so true that we get more views and more attention when we talk about the negative or talk in the negative. So that yeah. definitely makes a ton of sense. So you actually made a, you, you made a comment just now about how you would have been a great factory worker through repetition. And in a previous conversation, you had said that Kobe's shots would always go in. So he had that, that precision. And then Michael would keep shooting until they went in. So what <laughs> strategy, what strategy have you seen to be more effective in the NBA? Is it a focus on precision or a focus on repetition? Precision. Michael didn't trust a lot of his teammates. But the ones he trusted hit the big shot. Steve Kerr, John Paxton, Scottie Pippen. You know, once he gave it to them in a position to do their thing, they did it. But he could do it all, so he did it all himself. I always say this because everybody brings up who's better, Kobe or Michael. And I always mess with Michael about this. But when you talk to Michael, Michael doesn't say, I'm the best to ever play in the NBA. He doesn't say that. He just gets on the court and bushes your butt and goes, remember who I am. Kobe would all of a sudden say, I'll, he'll never be better than Michael because without Michael, he wouldn't have been Kobe. Yeah. So 
you don't have an opinion then, I guess, on who is the greatest of all time, I guess? No, I have the best in our lifetime has been Michael Jordan. Okay. The best in our life, best in the 90s, um, you know, and his position, what he's done for the NBA, what he's done for life, for everybody in this life, sneakers and, and style and commercials. Like Michael Jordan has made it where athletes are looked at as celebrities. It used to be a movie star was a movie star. And an athlete was an athlete. Now, athletes are superstars. Yeah. You know, like Messi. Messi's a superstar. Uh, Ronaldo, superstar. Beckham, superstar. Michael uh, Schumacher, uh, Lewis Hamilton. Like, athletes now are, are, are like the celebrity, like it used to be back in the movie time. Yeah. And, you know, like back in the day, movie actors were never on television. You don't go from the big screen to the small screen. You go from the small screen to the big screen. Now, in order to be a big star, you better be on. T you better be an influencer on TikTok <laughs> or Instagram. It has changed. So jumping back into what you had mentioned about, um, you know, the league having changed and athletes are celebrities. There's a lot of media, money, influence and politics involved in. And it's tough for a rookie to navigate that space. So what is the biggest mistake that you see young players joining the league making today? I didn't understand why they didn't have athletes at first, you know, when they came into the squad, okay, this is your apartment. Here's your car you can drive. Um, this is your liaison. This is your chaperone. This is your security. I didn't understand why the NBA didn't supply that. But when you go play in Europe, you have it like that. You, this is your apartment. Here's a car. Uh, here's a driver if you're really good. You know, they, they, until you get used to where you are. When you get in the NBA, it's every man for himself. It's a disservice to the player because you're forcing him to learn so many things that they didn't learn in college or if they came straight in. They didn't have money in their pocket. They didn't have to uh, cook for themselves. Um, they go, well, now you got to learn it. Well, you should learn it before you get to that point, right? You don't throw anybody in the army into a war. You know, you go through basic training, which should be in the NBA, in the NFL, in baseball. Well, baseball has it. Baseball has, um, has minor leagues, and now basketball has the G League. But that's the way you should do it. You should have somebody literally walking you through it. This is how you wash your clothes if they haven't learned. This is, you don't need a thousand chains on. You don't need seven watches and you got one wrist. You don't need six cars and you got one butt. Um, just because she's in the club doesn't mean she is the one you should be taking to your house. There's so many things that they should be guided in that in Europe they do, and here they don't. They go, you know, if you can make it through that, then that'll toughen you up. Just It's just bad um, management of your asset. So speaking of, you know, getting into a league and getting into the league and everything being so new, 
Um, you know, you were Kobe's teammate at one point and he got into the league right out of high school. Um, and he had a very different personality when he first joined the league versus when he had retired, like very different. Um, you know, he had that infamous Shaq and Kobe beef and that lasted several years. Um, and you had 10 years on Kobe when he first joined the league. So were there any observations that you had of Kobe when he first joined um, and were you able to learn something from him when you were on the same team? I just would say with Kobe, the things that he finally did learn, because he would ask, well, let me tell you, Michael Jordan said it during his funeral, how Kobe would call and ask you tons and tons and tons of questions. And during the, the, the crazy thing is during his trial, I would get a call every once in a while and we would talk about everything other than the trial. Uh, just to get away from that. And when I played there, we would talk about everything basketball. And we we wasn't going around going, man, did you see that girl over there? But it was always basketball conversations. It was always videos of basketball conversations. That's that's the the coolest way and the best way I can explain. Uh, my man Cole. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier in, in this conversation that um, you wish you had done more pull-ups and push-ups and been in the gym longer. And, and Kobe was known for his multiple workouts in a day. And, and so I'm wondering, was that the beginning of that influence on you where you were like, maybe I should be spending more time on, on that fitness on getting better or anything like was, did Kobe have that kind of influence on you? Or was it, was it something else that triggered that reflection? No, I, um, so I say that, but I also didn't tell you why it's because I was a psycho as well, but I a little different than Kobe. I went out, uh, <laughs> I didn't drink, smoke, snort. I didn't do anything. The only thing I liked was women. That was the, <laughs> if you were going to say there was a, it was a downtime. That was the only thing I would say it would be. I studied martial arts because I knew that was going to help me in tight situations and positioning and body. So I studied with Master Barons when I got to Miami. I started getting colonics in 1991. So I knew eliminating things from my low intestines will help me with a compacted colon, no more back pain. I changed the way I was eating into a plant-based vegan diet. Um, uh, I started meditating, doing yoga. I did everything I could, like those kind of things. When I watch Kevin Durant and LeBron and all these guys able to take the ball and shoot a three, and if it misses, no one says anything. When I was playing, the mentality, you seven foot, get closer to the basket. If I would have literally proven to my coach that I could take these shots and I can do play in this game like that, it would have it would have been entirely different for me. At the end of practice, Kobe and I would play one-on-one. So I didn't rush home because, like him, I love playing basketball. So there was no reason, you know, I have – I tell people all the time, I had the best job in the world. There's no better job uh, in the world than being a professional athlete. And I knew that. The, the, the other 
great job I had is when I was on the Best Damn Sports Show. I used to tell those guys, this is the greatest job in the world. And John Entz, my guy, executive dude, said, man, are you, are you clowning us when you say that? I said, you guys never had a job. I worked in the cleaners with my mother as a caterer with my mother, clean houses in Long Island with my mother, so ices, so hot dogs. Um, I had jobs, clean out the parking lot at a, at a strip mall outside of my building. Like, I had jobs. Like Stephen A. Smith and, and Shannon Sharp, they realized it. Skip Bayless, they realized, hey, all I got to do is have a conversation about what I saw and compare it to somebody else, and I get millions of dollars for that, best job in the world. That's hilarious. Um, but also your expertise is, the reason people listen to those things is because of your expertise, because you were on the floor with these guys. and Because and I have expertise. Yes, because That's you what do. I'm saying. They got easy jobs. They don't, <laughs> they don't have any expertise, so they, this is what they're doing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so you actually you actually just touched upon, you know, you started getting colonics, you changed to a vegan lifestyle, um, you became health conscious, like you developed a health conscience. Um, so I'm wondering, what was the catalyst that began your health consciousness journey? Because you've had, you've shared many stories about how you used to party all the time with your teammates and there was widespread drug use in the eighties. And, and so you weren't necessarily an environment really that cared about the things that you started caring about. So what was the, the catalyst that began your health consciousness journey? If there was a specific moment. Yeah, I had a, had a bad breakup with a, with a, with a bad woman. Um, and it seemed like everything was spiraling out of uh, out of space. And I went to Dr. Jewel Pukra. She's in Atlanta. Great lady. She told me, John, you're full of sugar and horrible intestinal toxins. And she was right. I was full of sugar. I was full of horrible intestinal toxins. I got my first colonic. Um, everything changed. And as a health coach, one of the things I say to people is change nothing, nothing changed. Change everything and everything changes. And so I changed everything. We all took pills. Um, I took ibuprofen, which I was taking them like they were Skittles. Uh-oh. And, you know, you could have, that means you could have a bad liver kidney problems. Uh, it doesn't stop the inflammation in the knee where I thought it was. It was all a placebo thought with terrible side effects. So what would you say would be the most critical thing for athletes to be focusing on? Like, let's just say in the NBA, but, but in any other professional sports league, like for their health, is it diet? Is it, is it anything else? Just, just food and nutrition, you'd say? Food intake. Food intake. The, the food intake is the most important thing to a Formula One car, to a to a to a Indy 500 car, to a NASCAR race car, to a thoroughbred. Do you know how well they feed thoroughbreds? They don't give thoroughbreds McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, 
Carl's Jr. They don't. They're not giving. They're not bringing that over and go. Well, just give them a little treat and give them ice cream. That is not happening. They're not bringing ice cream for a thoroughbred who is going to race for millions of dollars across the world to eat that stuff. Yeah, and because they can, they feed it only the best of the best. You know, thoroughbreds eat better than humans. The horse has a better life than we do. (laughs) I think that's a little sad. Yeah. (laughs) But the most important thing is the fuel you put into your car. This is this machine we call our body is how they even design the car, how they design the jet, how they design anything. Just think of, of the things that go on. You got over 73 trillion cells in your body. And when they don't work together, that's called a dis-ease. So when they're not working together, you're in dis-ease. Cool breakdown of the word disease into dis-ease. That's, I'm, I'm going to use that. You're giving me some cool <laughs> gems to, to use. <laughs> Is that patented? Should I give credit to you? <laughs> no, no, no. I, got, I got that from Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson doesn't believe you should ever get sick. He thinks it's mind over matter. And in a way, he's correct. But if you haven't given your body all the nutrients, minerals, and vitamins for it to overthrow um, a virus or a bacteria that your body can't deal with, then your mind can do whatever it wants. But if it doesn't have the tools, it won't work. Yeah. So you've had many different chapters in your life. You've had basketball, now you're in film, investing, being an author, wellness advocacy. So what's your next chapter? Is it, is it the authorship? But, but knowing you now, I know you have another step ahead of, of just being an author. So, so what's yes. the next, next chapter, I guess. So not only do I produce, I produce film and, and television. I decided I wanted to be an owner of a streaming service. So I got involved with a streaming service that we have called Monetize. You get paid to watch as well as you get paid to give content. Okay. So wow. because there's enough, there's enough money there for everybody. So you make a little bit just from watching, you know, all the, think of all the things. I, I have a friend, every time I would call her, I would hear, you know, some reality show in the background. I'm not going to say the name of the reality show, 90 Day Fiance. And <laughs> And I go, God, haven't you watched every one of them? She goes, oh, it's just white noise now. She doesn't realize that the ads that she gets to see, you know, she she doesn't get it. She doesn't realize those ads are still playing in her mind. One o'clock in the morning, she all of a sudden is hungry. She doesn't realize the subliminal seduction. So I decided to get in monetize. And one of the main reasons were because of this lifestyle. The reason you don't see more shows on television tell you the natural ways of healing or a simple way of doing things or how to do things um, that benefit you is because the marketing, the ads, don't coincide with the conversation. I, having this this company, um, I can literally pick what commercials go where. The advertisers don't. So if you're talking health and wellness, I'm going to put up things that are healthy and good for you. I'm not going to put up a pharmaceutical that tells you there's more things can go wrong with you taking this than, than you want done right. 
So using your platform for, for high impact, I think is, I think that's awesome and yeah. makes sense with the trajectory of your career. You're trying to do everything you can in this lifetime. That makes that's a ton it. of sense. I only got 70 more years to live. <laughs> only 70 more years. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I decided I, I want to go to the next plane when I'm at least 122. Fantastic. I hope it's a smooth ride till then. So last question, we love asking this question to, to all our guests on the profile. In a sentence, what does the word success mean to you? Starting. Starting. Yeah. Just to start is a success. You don't have to just start it. Now you're already successful. They go, well, you start and you finish. You, you may not know why you're not finishing at that point. You know, the universe doesn't tell you everything, but just starting, you know, start is a success. It's like somebody said to me, well, you've always been successful in your life. It's because I've always done what I said I was going to do and what I wanted to. Um, my mom's was really good. She would know when she would say certain things. If she told me I could, oh, Johnny, you can't do that. She knew I would go to prove I can do it. And she wound up telling that story. She goes, all you got to do is tell him he can't do it. He'll figure out a way to do it to prove you wrong. That's some, yeah. that's some Jedi reverse psychology <laughs> you know, work your mom did. Yeah, she did it all the time. God rest her <laughs> soul. That's amazing. So just starting, I think that's an, an incredible piece of advice to our listeners. Thank you so much for joining me, John, today. I really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Um, so many learnings here, so many gems, and really excited to see you conquer all your next chapters. Bless up. Thank, Thank you. you.